You are listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that rigorously examines The Sopranos through deep dives, streams of consciousness, interviews, trivia, and NBA references. I mentioned that last part because it took on an extra special meaning yesterday. While having a benign Sunday lunch with friends, their kids and mine, I got a text that Kobe Bryant was dead. My hands started shaking the same way he made them shake when he had the ball in his hand at the end of games. But I passed my phone around to the grown-ups at the table, and we all stared blankly at each other for a moment. A collective, how could this happen? Then I looked around at other tables, other restaurant patrons, for confirmation, something, I'm not really sure what. People were looking at their phones and then looking up, mystified, like stepping out of a steam room with your glasses on, or the way many of us looked around at the end of The Sopranos. What just happened? My eyes locked with a few others, and just their collective looks validated what was happening. This was real. Lunch was a complete out-of-body experience. One kid was lounging against me, mouth-breathing about to nod off, while the other was curled up hugging his legs, brooding over the fact he had to eat something other than pizza or dinosaur nuggets. I'll never forget this exact moment. I was shook to the core, and like so many, I'm still rattling. I thought about recording this last night, but that would have been impossible. It's devastating. I'm sick. But then I jumped into that wind that carries all of us along, and I scribbled this out. Kobe was the foundation of my NBA experience. No Kobe, no emotional connection to the league or the game. Not this level. Certainly, no incessant and sometimes non-sequitur or ridiculous NBA references on this pod. Probably no pod at all, actually, if you really get into the DNA of how this came about. Now, I was lucky, through the accident of birth and timing, to get some of the Jordan experience. But I, like so many others of my generation, got the full Kobe experience. I grew up with him. He was just a few years older than me. When I wasn't pretending to be Allen Iverson on my college intramural squads or my law school team, I pretended I was Kobe. All of us did. Whether you cheered for him or not, anybody who dribbled a basketball and felt the grooves in between their fingers, the feeling of the ball leaving that last fingertip and knowing your shot was going to drop, that Mamba mentality coursed through your veins and into your soul. I certainly imagined what he must have felt all the time when I drained a shot in someone's eye at 24-hour fitness. I wanted to stay on that court so bad. I wanted to run it back. And being an Indian kid from the suburbs, the only way was to have that Mamba mentality. Kobe's the reason comparisons to other players and other eras 
started in earnest. Internet culture certainly compelled this. But what a fucking gift Kobe Bryant was to the internet and armchair quarterback culture. To highlight reels. What a perfect embodiment of polarizing and prodigy. Style and wit. International and local. Confidence and swagger. No, he wasn't Jordan. And even he'd admit that. But he knew what the best was. He chose the right mountain to climb. And he approximated it better than we'll ever see anyone do again. And to be honest, he did a lot of Jordan better than Jordan himself. He was Picasso in the paint. Where Jordan's footwork was analog, Kobe's was digital. Too perfect at times. Without the occasional imperfections or bumps and stutters of a vintage vinyl. I didn't always root for Kobe. And my relationship with him as a fan of basketball has been complicated. Not unlike my relationship with The Sopranos, with Tony. Like T, Kobe was a paradox, an enigma, visually stunning, emotionally devastating. A killer on the court, but something entirely different off. I imagine him dropping a variation of T's line to any player or critic who came heavy. When he was on the court, when he was working, he wasn't running a fucking popularity contest. And that force of will, that constitution of mind, that stubbornness, was even strong enough to catapult someone as gargantuan as Shaq, both body and personality, to Miami. You didn't have to love Kobe, but you had to respect him. And like The Sopranos, he got better every year, every season, every game. The scripting and game plans were tighter. The supporting cast was complimentary. Increased risk-taking. The execution impeccable. He was a seeker, a searcher, a student, a teacher, a professional, a killer, a baller, a husband, a father. To my good fortune, I got to watch him play many times. Sometimes in fancy seats, other times in the nosebleeds, and everywhere in between. I got all the angles in numerous arenas around the country. Staples Center, the old Arco Arena, the old MCI Center, and Madison Square Garden. And even when I wasn't rooting for him, I remember never taking the experience for granted. I watched him ball probably more than any other player during my lifetime and experience as an NBA fan. And like so many, he converted me full stop. From actively rooting against him, I fell in love with him. His game made you feel. He made you feel. That's crazy and powerful. Like the Sopranos, watching him eventually became like spending time with an old friend. The memory that stands out the most was his taking out my beloved hometown Sacramento Kings three years in a row. The final time culminating in a Game 7 double overtime Western Conference Finals. 
The Kings have been a shell of themselves ever since. He was a mixtape on the court during that three-peat run. Inside game, outside game, mid-range game, jab steps, backdoor cuts, hesitations, pump fakes, head fakes, turnaround jays, the pick and pops, the flow of the triangle. If Shaq was the apex of the triangle, Kobe was the lines, the sides of the triangle supporting that apex. And no, he didn't love to pass, but when he did, it was an assist. And he made sure his assists were daggers. His lob to Shaq against the Trailblazers in 2000 is a case in point. In 2000, he took my then Kings out in the first round, 3-2, scoring nearly 35 points in three consecutive games. Props to the Kings, who were an eight seed that year, for pushing the Lakers to a game five. In 2001, he swept the Kings in the second round where he averaged 35 points, nine rebounds, and four assists per. I attended two games during that series, and I can honestly tell you, I don't remember a damn thing about the Kings. Not C-Webb, not Vlade, not Peja, not Christie, not Jason Williams, not Bobby Jackson, not even Shaq. But I remember Kobe. Shaq was Shaq and got his every night. But Kobe? Kobe was different. I remember sitting in the In-N-Out drive through after the game thinking it was okay. My team got smoked. But fucking A. I watched Kobe dance, man. I watched that guy cut a franchise's heart out, a small market's heart out, high-five whoever was left standing, and fade into a tunnel to prep for the next series, against arguably, certainly by his own admission, his greatest foe, the San Antonio Spurs. That year, he swept them too, and averaged 33 points on 51% shooting, seven rebounds, and seven assists per. The only person able to take a game from Kobe and the Lakers that year was Allen Iverson in the iconic step-over T. Lou game. When I saw that, I distinctly remember thinking, Kobe's so pissed. These Sixers are dead. Winning that game was the worst possible thing they could have done. Kobe came back the next game and played virtually the entire 48. He took a couple of seconds off. Dropped 31 and willed the Lakers to victory. They won four straight and were champs for the second season in a row. The Jordan comparisons began in earnest. In 2002, the NBA playoffs that will haunt me for the rest of my life, and largely because of Kobe, the Kings met the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. The Kings were a one seed and had home court advantage. Then the Kings got a 3-2 series lead. It was a miraculous feeling. If there was a Game 7, it would be at Arco. But in those two elimination games, Kobe turned it on. Over 30 points per game with key steals, assists, blocks, and rebounds to pave the way to a Game 7 double overtime win. They went on to sweep the New Jersey Nets in the finals and achieve the three-peat. Kobe was the youngest player to win three rings. I remember being physically sick after that Kings series. The officiating was heavily scrutinized in the aftermath, and to this day, many people, fans and non-fans alike, think the Kings got robbed that series. I was on that train too for a time. But more than refs or Shaq or Phil or the triangle, 
the Lakers had one crucial thing that the Kings didn't. Mamba mentality. In all three of these series, and in all three consecutive championships, Kobe proved one thing. He was clutch. To Junior's point, when it counts, you better come heavy or don't come at all. Kobe came heavy every night until his very last game. Kobe wasn't perfect. Who among us is? He wasn't the perfect husband. He wasn't the perfect teammate. But he was a work in progress, in pursuit of those things. And he owned his problems. Probably more than any other player out there, his humanity was on display, on and off the court. And what would bury most guys only made him rise further, higher. Leaving basketball aside, and I got to be honest, I don't know if I can get through this in one go. The thing about this whole tragedy that is still making my bones tremble is that at the end of the day, this was a dad who loved his daughter and was on his way to support her passion. This was a big part of his second act in life, his purpose, to encourage her passion, to facilitate a path for her in a way that all dads hope to do for their kids. All the visuals and imagery this season in particular have been of Kobe courtside with his daughter, Gianna. It's overwhelming, and like so many, I distinctly noticed the constant presence he was in games around the country with her. He was done with basketball, but she fell in love with the game. Mambasita. And he came back to it because of her. It was some of the most compelling off-court imagery ever. They were two peas in a pod, talking, laughing, coaching, sharing, listening. Like many parents of young ones out there, I get glimmers of that with my son as he figures out things he likes and things he doesn't like, things he wants to pursue, things he doesn't. To think now that Kobe will never get the chance to see that through there are no words. And now I'm not making comparisons to try and artfully weave the character traits of Tony together because this is a podcast about the world of the Sopranos. But This aspect of Tony, the fatherhood aspect, is precisely what connects me to him and haunts me every day. This desire to do something and be someone that my kids will be proud of, to make sure they have every chance to be the best version of themselves and to not allow my shit to get in their way. I remember watching from my college apartment in San Diego, Kobe throw a lob to Shaq 
and tear the guts out of Portland. I remember watching from my New York City apartment, Kobe walk up to the podium to address his infidelity, an impending court hearing. I remember watching Kobe lose Phil Jackson and then will him back. Unlike Richie, Kobe could sell it. I remember every single moment of the final seconds of Kobe's three-peat. I remember him figuring out how to win two more rings, back-to-back, without Shaq, in the NBA's biggest pressure cooker, Los Angeles, against all odds. I remember him dropping 81 against the Raptors. I remember watching him tear his Achilles, then get up and sink two free throws and walk off the court without help from teammates or medical assistance, without a whiff of stress or pain or fear. And then I remember following his recovery and rehab. I remember the slight depression he acknowledged going through, his beard phase, some people called it. And when I saw the video of him running on a treadmill for the first time, I remember crying. He was like a Rocky movie now, an underdog. Then I remember his return. He came back when he didn't have to. He came back because it was part of his personal legend. It was his story. All greats come back, whether they win or not. The comeback in and of itself was a win. And finally, I remember his last game. Every bucket of those 60 points. I could hear neighbors all up and down the block bellowing loudly in synchronicity. And then his mic drop speech. It was a religious experience. It transcended sport. That he made me love him and hate him. That he made me laugh and cry. That he made me want to be better at whatever I was doing or pursuing. That he inspired me to take big risks, big shots, even if some of those shots, many of those shots, didn't drop or even hit the rim for that matter. That he inspired me to be a more dedicated father for all these things. He's more than a great player, 18-time All-Star, five-time NBA champion, two-time Olympic gold medalist. He's something more than a complex, enigmatic, paradoxical figure. And now that he's no longer with us, he's something more than a person even. In fact, today, he's more than a legend. He's an idea. And that's perhaps the most powerful, transformational thing of all. Thank you, Kobe. Mamba Italiano. Mamba out. You know, after school activities, all that fun stuff, even on weekends. 
But then traffic started getting really, really bad. Right, and I was sitting in traffic, and I wound up missing like a school play because mm-hmm. I was sitting in traffic, and this, this thing just kept mounting. I had to figure out a way where I could still train and focus on the craft, but still not compromise family time. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I looked into helicopters and be able to get down and back in 15 minutes, mm-hmm. and, and that's when it started. And so my routine was always the same: waits early in the morning, kids to school, fly down, practice like crazy, do my extra work, media, everything I needed to do fly back, get back in carpool line, pick the kids up. And my wife was like, listen, I can pick them up. I'm like, no, 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 I I want to do that. Because mm-hmm. like, you know, you have road trips and times where you're not, you don't see your right. kids, man, right. you know? So like every chance I get to see them and spend time with them, even if it's 20 minutes in a car, like I want that.